Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Ugara. We're recording this on Saturday, July 7th. Hi, Kim. Hello, Alice. That was very, uh, very serious. I liked it. Ooh, thank you. Uh, that is a rare <laughs> mode for me. So I was trying. I was trying to bring my utmost gravitas slash NPR voice. Um, oh, very good. So you uh, are really just sort of like stepping up on this and recording from vacation, which uh, I, I am recording from vacation. I am so impressed by. Thank you for for being on this episode when you should. <laughs> uh, you could just be like, no, never mind. Find someone else. Um, so <laughs> very happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in northern Wisconsin and my parents. Uh, I, it used to be our family cabin and now my parents live up there full time. So my sister and I, we just took the week to come up because it was 4th of July in the middle. Um, so we just decided to hang out. So it's just been a lot of like sit in the lake, drink some booze, read a book. Go on a boat ride, That's rinse amazing. and repeat. Well, and as we were talking right before the recording started, you have some uh, occasional bird song in the background, which I am still so excited about. So I'm hoping that they'll like keep like just chittering just a little bit, not too much. Um, they might. We'll see. It'll be fine. When I was in uh, when I was in Mexico last year for the first time, every morning at like seven a.m., there were these birds that basically screamed outside the window. So that wasn't as <laughs> soothing. It wasn't like a gentle twitter. It was just like ah. So um, this no, is nice. These are, these are like Disney princess birds, I think, right now. So hopefully they'll continue to cooperate. Um, how uh, how was your Fourth of July? Did you see fireworks? We did. We have fireworks on the lake, and so we take a boat out there to watch them, and it is. Uh, lake fireworks are the best fireworks, so that was fun, and we have some friends who come up for the week and or for, you know, the long weekend and stuff, so it was a, it was a fun day. How about you? Do you get to go see fireworks in Chicago? Yeah, I go with a group to uh, one of our – so we – a lot of – when we had budget cuts in the city a number of years ago when, you know, everyone was having budget cuts because of um, like 2008 and stuff, a lot of neighborhood fireworks got canceled. And so it became kind of like a DIY situation. Um, and one of our uh, neighborhood parks uh, has – it's like hours and hours of people setting off their own fireworks. And uh, we go over here <laughs> – it's this it's it's basically like a constant you're either like wow this is amazing or oh my gosh what if we get blown up because uh there we had like a People number of them fireworks. go off oh yeah 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 and then running away in a panic because we had a number of them go off on the ground this year and we were like really close so it was just yeah, like no. oh gosh you guys there are a lot of police around just to like I guess be there in case something terrible happens. But oh, um, gosh. this is uh, this is what happens when you uh, cut city budgets. <laughs> <laughs> oh yikes! Oh gosh! But no, it was fun. It was good times. All right. Well, 
with that, I think we'll jump right in. Um, so before we get started with our new books and the rest of the podcast, we wanted to let you know that Book Riot is hosting a giveaway of YA fiction and nonfiction. Uh, Book Riot is giving away $500 worth of the best titles from this year, which are all selected by Kelly Jensen, who is a former YA librarian and our current uh, YA expert at Book Riot. She does the YA newsletter, she does YA posts, and she co-hosts the Young Adult Podcast. So um, just for giggles, here's some of the exciting titles that we're going to be giving away. It sounds sarcastic, but actually these are awesome. Uh, Dread Nation by Justina Ireland, um, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi, uh, Save the Date by Morgan Matson, From Tinkle with Love by Sanda Minan, um, Love, Hate, and Other Filters by Samira Ahmed. So there's it goes on and on. It is a huge list of titles, $500 worth of titles, in fact. Um, so this giveaway ends July 31st, uh, and you can enter by going to bookriot.com slash 500YA giveaway to enter. So that is bookriot.com slash 500YA giveaway, uh, and you can do that until the end of the month. So you should uh, definitely do that if you are excited about YA books. And with that, we're going to jump into our first segment, which is always new books. Um, and it looks like I'm going to go first, so I'm just going to keep monologuing. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first book I want to mention uh, is called "Don't You Ever" by Mary. Or Don't you ever? Don't You Ever, My Mother and Her Secret Son by Mary Carter Bishop. Uh, and I just read this one on my vacation. So I am I can actually like say I read it and actually recommend it, which is exciting for new books because that doesn't usually happen. Um, but this is a memoir by uh, Mary Carter Bishop discovers in her 20s that her mother actually has a secret baby. Um, and so her mother gave birth to her, a brother, a half-brother, when uh, when she was 18. Um but the um, she gave him away because at the time it was really scandalous for her to have this baby and she just couldn't do it. And so she, um, the baby sort of lived on the outskirts of their family for a long time. So Mary Carter Bishop and her parents, they grew up, uh, or she grew up in the South um, and her family, her mom was a, a nursemaid or a nanny for a couple of boys from a very wealthy family. Um, and her dad was the property manager, um, kind of the farm manager of their s- estate. Um, and so they grew up kind of adjacent to this very wealthy, proper type of family, but also uh, not really part of them. Um, And so Mary Carter Bishop, when she was 18, she was applying, I think, for a passport and had to go in and get some documentation. And she saw on her birth certificate that uh, her mother listed having uh, one other child. And so she went home and she asked her mom, like, what is this about? And her mom said, oh, you know, it's Ronnie. Ronnie is the the other child. And she's like, what are you talking about, mom? Because Ronnie had done this. He was about 10 years older than her. And he had just been sort of this like kid on the periphery of her life that like vaguely people had said was a cousin, but like nobody ever really talked about. And he kind of was in their lives and then out and he was in foster care and a couple of different institutions. and uh, there's just this big secret that her family was keeping from – her parents were keeping from everyone in their lives. Like many of her mother's friends didn't know that she had this other child. Um, and so she, Mary Carter finds out about him but then doesn't really connect with him until they're – I think into their like 40s maybe. Um, and she finally finds him and connects with him and they sort of develop a relationship. But then um, she ends up also having to be his caretaker because he has a, an illness, um, a degenerative illness. Uh, and so he dies pretty young as well. But um, yeah, it's just about their relationship and and what these secrets and stuff mean for her family. Um, and about, it's a really interesting portrait of like a Southern estate and a Southern place and kind of what the expectations are for that kind of area and the people who live there. Um, and so it's not like a, like a life-changing memoir where I finished and thought like, oh my gosh, my whole like conception of the world has changed. But it was just a really like interesting, well-told story. Um, good page turner like 
good pickup and grab at the library and read. So um, that is called Don't You Ever by Mary Carter Bishop. Whew. That's a, that's a lot of stuff with like, no, just like, can you, I feel like that happened at least, I was going to say that happened a lot, but I actually don't know. I just think we hear a lot of those stories now from like, even I think in the seventies, you know, and I think it's, I'm hoping it's changing because right. A lot of that was like shame based and all of this kind of thing. Um, that actually, yeah. Her mom had to go to one of those like institutions where, on when mothers go to like have the baby and she lived there for a while with him. Um, and yeah, like I think this happened a lot more than we think it did. Um, and there are stories about it and this one is just kind of one of those, but it, it was really well told and, and page turning. So I thought it was really, I liked it a lot. No, that's awesome. And it just, it, it's obviously like, obviously then a, a chronicle of that time in our country, which again, hopefully is over, but I don't know. Um, it's probably not totally over thinking about it now. Probably so, not. so therefore also relevant to today. Um, <laughs> gosh. Okay. Now uh, sort of continuing down uh, a darker spiral, which I think now <laughs> I know, I know you, you can see the next title um, is uh, I'm so sorry. I picked this up. It came out in uh, on June 5th. So it's a little, a bit of an older book um, by older. It's like a month old, um, <laughs> but I picked it up at um, the uh, American Library Association annual conference um, the last uh, in the last couple weeks. So I didn't know about it until now, which is my own fault as a nonfiction upcoming release book ca- like book podcast host. Um, so I apologize, but let me get to the title. So the title is <laughs> right Tinderbox: The Untold Story of the Upstairs Lounge Fire. By Robert E. I'm going to go with Feisler. It's F-I-E-S-L-E-R. So essentially this happened in New Orleans, uh, which I was actually, that's where annual conference was this year. And I saw a, you know how New Orleans has those um, like memorial parades, basically, where people will walk down the street. So I saw the memorial parade for the upstairs lounge. Um, tragedy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was at a gay bar and it, it literally walked like they were marching past it um, in the French Quarter. So what this is, is has buried for decades, according to Live Right. The upstairs lounge tragedy has only recently emerged as a catalyzing event of the gay liberation movement. Uh, Robert Feisler chronicles the tragic event that claimed the lives of 31 men and one woman on June 24th, 1973 at a New Orleans bar, the largest mass murder of gays until 2016. So I had never heard of this. Um, Yeah, me either. Which I think is a big point of the book is that, so it happened in 73. This was after Stonewall. Um, It's not like Stonewall turned everything around (laughs) immediately, but um, it was still, I think, given the uh, relative support for Stonewall um, and that Mm -hmm. uprising, it it is, it was surprising that this was so basically buried. Um, They were talking about how uh, in the intro of the book, he's saying that there was a fire that claimed the lives of six people in new Orleans a little bit after the uh, upstairs lounge fire. And that was the front page of the paper for five days. Um, Upstairs lounge fire was the front page for two days. And then basically no public statements were made about it. And again, 31 men and one woman died in this fire, which is just insane. Yeah, um, wow. and, and the reason, obviously, they say the largest mass murder of gays until 2016 is the 2016 is the Pulse nightclub shooting. So, mm-hmm. um, 
what he what Fraser's trying to do is to bring the story to light, uh, which again I think is very important. Um, given that again, I I've done so much research, I feel like into like gay history in America and all this, and mm-hmm. I, I I had not heard of it. So um, the only uh, I'm just opening it right now. The only issue I've had with it so far, which is just sort of like a classic. Um, I'm going to go with patriarchal problem. I'm sorry for using that word in like the context of this. It feels a little cliche, but um, he's talking about being in the closet and he defines it as that obscure place where men who love men hid their true selves. And I was like, Hey, (laughs) other people can be in the closet. There's Mm -hmm. other people in that closet. Um, But this book, because it is uh, the upstairs ankle, it was very, you know, uh, focused on gay men and this is their story really. So that's what he's kind of trying to point to there. So um, again, it came out June 5th. You can get it now. Again, it's Tinderbox, the untold story of the upstairs lounge fire by Robert E. Feisler. Interesting. Good pick. Um, So my next pick is called Empress, the astonishing reign of Nur Jahan by Ruby Lal, which came out July 3rd from Norton. Uh, And this one I'm excited about because I like to read about royalty and queens and princesses and stuff, but a lot of that is is British. And so when I see one about royalty from other places, I get really excited. So Nur Jahan, um, she was in, when she was 34, and so this is in 1611, she was 34 years old, uh, she became the 20th and most cherished wife of the Emperor Jahangir, J-A-H-A-N-G-I-R, probably said that wrong. Um so most of his other wives, his 19 other wives, were secluded and behind walls. But she um, ruled the the place where they lived alongside her husband. And she governed when he was getting sick and when his attention kind of meandered from um, being a ruler. Um, she was a politician and a devoted partner. And she... Um, she was a hunter. She designed dresses. She was an architect. She was a political expert. Like She was just a really awesome partner and ruler of this area. Um, and my favorite thing that I read in some of the little stuff about it was that when uh, the emperor was kidnapped, she actually led the army to try and rescue him. So she was a, a general as well. Oh, that's um, awesome. And she, I know. Um, so she just, she was really awesome at a time, 1611, when like women weren't allowed to be awesome, even though she was a 20th wife, but she was his favorite and, and did a lot of awesome stuff. So um, I haven't gotten a copy of this book. I meant to pre-order it and then I didn't get around to it. So I expect that maybe it's waiting for me at home now. But um, yeah, I'm excited about it. I think it'll be really good. So Empress, The Astonishing Reign of Nur Jahan by Ruby Lal. I'm really glad that you picked this because I saw it um, basically in the in the upcoming books list and I was going to talk about it if you weren't going to. Um, but yeah, it sounds amazing. It's it's also cool because you said in, in 1611, right? She marries this guy. So mm-hmm. that's that's eight years yeah. after Elizabeth the first dies. So you're just it's also, you know, like that, like what's happening in different parts of the world, like where I don't know. It's just neat. Um, yeah. Interesting. Not to compare everything to Western Europe. I <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I also had not heard of Noor Jahan. So, um, it's, it's pretty cool that this book is out. Um, my next book, uh, I also really wanted to get a review copy of and did not request it in time. Um, because I'm just going to blame the summer. That's what's happening. Um, but it looks really great. It's called No One Tells You This, a memoir by Glynis McNichol. It's out July 10th from Simon & Schuster. So the day this episode comes out, I believe. Um, so 
McNichol co-founded The List, which is the L-I dot S-T-E. Sorry, not S-T-E, dot S-T. I know how to spell list. It's fine. Which is <laughs> a network and visibility platform for professional women. So which is basically, it's a space for women who are committed to helping each other rise. Um, she also writes for L. This is a memoir of her 40th year and her figuring out how you live as a woman, quote, alone in the world. Um, I, I feel like on another Book Riot podcast, we were asked about, where we asked for recommendations about women who... Um, oh, remember, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who don't have children and who are living alone. And we talked about the extra woman and... Um, this kind of feels like a modern sort of like addition to that kind of narrative, which I'm, that's why I'm really excited about it. So she starts out really saying like, if the story doesn't end with marriage or a child, what then? And it's kind of like saying that our society doesn't have a blueprint. Like we have these landmarks in life, right? Like you go Mm -hmm. to school and you get married and you have kids and you like retire and do your whatever post-retirement thing. And, um, there's no there's no laid out life map for if you are this single woman with no children. So she's trying to basically create this blueprint. Um, and I, that's sort of what at least the, the description of the book purports the book to be about. So from that, uh, and she also seems just like funny and interesting <laughs> as, as like a writer. Yeah. Person. I read some of her articles um, to get a sense of her writing style. And uh, it just, it seems really good and really appropriate for the time. So again, it is No One Tells You This, a memoir by Glynis McNichol, and it's out July 10th. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm interested. It'd be interesting. I think you could put together like a whole, what is it like to be a woman not following the path that women follow across a bunch of different decades? And you could slot this one right in with um, a lot of the other ones. So that's really cool. All right. I have one more new book that I wanted to just quick mention, um, and it's called From the Corner of the Oval by Rebecca Dory Stein. And that one comes out July 10th from Spiegel and Grau. Um, and this one is another like President Obama administration memoir, which like I just can't seem to get enough of. I just want to read them all because I think I'm like nostalgic <laughs> already for um, back in a time when like the presidency wasn't a trash fire. So um uh, uh, Rebecca Dory Stein was hired in 2012 to be a stenographer for President Obama. Um, and she got the job because of a Craigslist ad, which I just think is really hilarious too. Like here, the Obama administration, you're advertising on Craigslist. Like, I don't understand that, but, but cool. Um, so as a stenographer, she accompanied the president on trips. Um, she was not like a political insider when she joined the administration. So she kind of gets into it and then gets to be present for these really major events. Um, Because as a stenographer, her job was to record uh, speeches and interviews and then produce and release the official transcripts, which actually sounds like kind of an awesome job. Um, Although I feel like maybe I'd get bored doing that, but whatever. Um, So then while she's there, she obviously develops friendships with other staffers. um, And she also starts a relationship with what the book calls a DC insider. Um, And so one of the things I read about the books calls it Bridget Jones goes to the White House, um, which I feel like in the context that they used it was supposed to be insulting. um, But I actually kind of love that. And that (laughs) made me want to read it even more. So, uh, you know, like the thing where sometimes negative reviews, like (laughs) you find out like the thing you want. Um, So, yeah, I just I think it sounds like fun and just sort of another different uh, kind of approach for the uh, Obama administration memoirs, which I just can't seem to get enough of like wanting to read. So this one is called From the Corner of the Oval by Rebecca Dory Stein. I'm really excited that those books are coming out just as like a little postscript because, yeah, it's it's already this nice like sort of nostalgic remembrance of a time when, as you said, our nation was or presidency slash White House was not 
a trash fire. Um, oh, right. I know. Can we make nostalgic for like two years yeah. ago? Like, my God. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> anyway. All right. So uh, we're going to next move into our uh, weekly theme, uh, which is a time-related type of thing where we look at nonfiction related to something going on in the world. So this week we decided we would do revolutionary history because um, we're just past July 4th, but I'm on a 4th of July vacation. And uh, revolutionary history is a deep and vast well of books that we could choose from. Uh, and so in the spirit of Independence Day and all of that. Uh, that's what we're gonna gonna talk about. So books related somehow are connected to the history of the American Revolution. Uh, and Alice is gonna go first with one that I am psyched to hear you talk about. Oh, thanks. It's it's more sort of like Cokie Roberts, the author, and then she has two books that are in the same vein. They have very similar titles, um, and there's they just chronologically follow each other. So um, Cokie Roberts focuses on the history of American women. And was unsurprisingly, I am talking about that. So uh, her two books are Founding Mothers, The Women Who Raised Our Nation, and then Ladies of Liberty, The Women Who Shaped Our Nation. Um, I She's an extremely readable author. Her books sell very well because she's very accessible. Um, and she also mentions people I've never heard of. I learned about Margaret Brent from her, who is the woman who saved Baltimore, basically, um, or Maryland, actually. She's like in early on, like 1600s. Um, she was awesome. She goes through just like a bunch of... Um, chronologically again so she like tells you how women in different areas of the united states or proto united states um shaped the nation and then uh well sorry first raised right first book is raised and then shaped is more mm -hmm. like uh late 18th century and then early um 19th with you know like dolly madison and that kind of so like once the presidency has formed and then we have like the first ladies and then the other like women working around so i really recommend sure. her her books for kind of that angle because i know it's it's very easy to focus on founding fathers, which I definitely did when I was first thinking of books for this. And I was like, going to pick I spoiler, you have a Joseph Ellis title, and I was going to pick another Joseph Ellis title because I really <laughs> liked one that he wrote about um, summer of 1776. And then I was like, Oh, right, I uh, should probably talk about <laughs> the other people. Um, but yeah, no, anyway, so Cokie Roberts, Founding Mothers, The Women Who Raised Our Nation, and Ladies of Liberty, The Women Who Shaped Our Nation. That's cool. I see those at bookstores all the time, and I'm I'm close to picking them up every single time, and then I, I don't know why I never do, because they sound really good. And like you said, women's history and getting some of those stories that we haven't heard before is so interesting and has been really a good trend, I feel like, in nonfiction lately. Um, so I'm excited about that, for sure. Um so my first pick is actually another author, um, Sarah Vowell, and she has written seven books about American history and culture. Um, and there's two that I want to talk about kind of quickly that are most specific to kind of revolutionary history. Um, well, early American history, I guess. Uh, the first is The Wordy Shipmates, and the second is Lafayette in the Somewhat United States. Um, and actually, so I'm going to start with Lafayette. So Lafayette in the Somewhat United States is an account of uh, the Marquis de Lafayette, who is a French aristocrat who became a trusted officer in front of George Washington. And then he was sort of a, an early celebrity in the United States because he was a Revolutionary War hero. And then he came back to the United States and toured around, and people were very excited to meet him because he was so cool. Um, and so the book is about him, but it's also a lot about how 
the ideals of the American Revolution kind of meshed and then also didn't mesh with the reality of what it meant to fight the Revolutionary War. And so we had these revolutionary ideals, but then they didn't always translate into the way that um, the founders had to operate. Um, and I just think Sarah Vowell is really funny in the way that she talks about um, American history. Um, in Lafayette and the Family United States, I remember her calling um, – the revolutionary soldiers, self-respecting, financially strapped terrorists oh and gosh. anti-monarchist <laughs> punks, uh, which makes, just makes me laugh because uh, I think that's really funny. So, um, and then the wordy shipmates, which is probably my favorite Sarah Vall book, is about the settlement of the Puritans and then their ongoing influence of the Puritans in American culture today. Um, and so she kind of talks about the two different Puritan colonies that formed in the United States and how they were the same and different. And she spends a lot of time analyzing the um, City on a Hill sermon and kind of what that means and then extending ideas about Puritanism out to why we are so uh, the way we are today. Um, and so the thing I love about all of her books and about Sarah Vall in particular is that she makes all of these historical figures really human. Um, and she's clearly fond of all of them, which I think is kind of an important quality because when you're fond of someone and you appreciate them, you can also make fun of them and you can also point out the way in which they were just people doing the best they could at a time when like nobody really knew what was going on. Um, and I really appreciate that about her writing. And I like how um, she says how history is kind of a conversation between the past and the present. And so she kind of connects those things together really well. Um, I personally really enjoy her books on audio. I think she's a very funny reader, but I know that her voice is extremely divisive. And there are some people who just really cannot listen to her on audio. Um, and so if you... If you're thinking about it and you want to try the audio, like get a sample first just to make sure. Um, she actually voiced uh, Violet Parr in The Incredibles, who's the daughter in that um, uh, Pixar movie. Um, so if you need a, a preview of her voice, that's another place you can get it. Um, I love it, but I know a lot of people really, really don't. Um, so <laughs> don't keep that in mind when you're deciding uh, how to how to approach your Sarah Vowell. Um, so yeah, two books by Sarah Vowell, The Wordy Shipmates and Lafayette in the Somewhat United States. I um. Well, first of all, I love Saraval. And yes, her voice is very uh, weird, but fascinating. Um, yeah. I think that Assassination Vacation is my favorite, which uh, for those mm -hmm. who don't know, is about she tours. I think it was her second book, I think. Um, no, third. It was third. Anyway, uh, she tours sites around America where um, presidents were either um, assassinated or was it also that they had assassination attempts? I think it was actually assassinated. Um, I don't remember for sure that one. And then, but yeah, wordy shipmates is great. I still think about Roger Williams after reading that book, uh, the founder of Rhode Island and how weird he was. Um, <laughs> I think, weird. yeah, well, I think she really delighted and like, he was always trying, but also just trying in some insane stuff and some great stuff, like being like, we should pay American Indians for their land. And then the Puritans are like, Ugh. um, <laughs> but, um, what was, oh, Assassination Vacation, I loved because I read it when I, it was one of the only books I brought to France with me when I was 21 and doing a study abroad. And I felt, when I was over there, I felt so intensely patriotic. Um, <laughs> and so I was so glad that I brought that book. And, but then like the very end, she has this unfortunate, at least from my 21 year old brain, because I haven't read it since then, um, really like angry rant about religion, which I remember was kind of like a bummer end of the book. Um, it's where she's at like the Capitol or something and like someone's giving a sermon or so she's basically very upset about it. And there's, 
sure. But um, I think there's a way to do it without being super vitriolic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I don't remember the end of that one. Um, the rest yeah, of it is very funny and very hilarious. And that's mainly what stuck with me. But yeah, no, she is great. Um, I remember Lafayette in the somewhat United States came out just when Hamilton was getting big. And I was like, oh, yeah, if uh-huh. I were her, I would have been kicking myself because like she couldn't, of course, include anything about the musical. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, sorry, not to like, I just, I have a lot of Vowel opinions <laughs> and she's great. So I'm really glad you picked her. Um, yeah. My other pick is Jefferson's Daughters, Three Sisters, White and Black in a Young America by Catherine Carrison. It came out in January of this year. Uh, So essentially, Thomas Jefferson had three daughters, Martha and Mariah by his wife, Martha Wales Jefferson, and Harriet by uh, enslaved person Sally Hemings. In Jefferson's Daughters, Catherine Carrison, a scholar of early American and women's history, recounts the remarkable journey of these three women and how their struggle to define themselves reflects both the possibilities and the limitations that resulted from the American Revolution. Um, I heard her interviewed about this book on... uh, the age of Jackson podcast, which I cannot recommend enough. And, um, she had some really great insights. Um, I read the beginning of, uh, of the book and I really want to read the whole thing. It's really readable and really interesting. And I've never really read that much about Thomas Jefferson himself because I don't like him and, uh, Mm -hmm. have not for basically my entire life. I, I feel like a, a Jefferson hater hipster in that regard. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I always loved John Adams and I know they were friends at the end of life and early in life, but anyway, um, in the middle part when they were fighting, I am still mad at him. So I don't know. I think it's, it's really, is she, sorry, not to just like get all like flustered thinking about it, but she does a really good job, I think, talking about like the different options available, right, to um, Martha yeah. and Mariah as opposed to Harriet. And then Harriet, I think, accompanies him to France. And um, Sally had made this, uh, Sally Hemming, sorry, not to be overly familiar with this person who had this tragic thing. Um, Sally Hemings had this deal, I think she struck with him regarding the freedom of her children. And it was all this stuff where you're like, Thomas Jefferson, you suck so much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where it's just like, <laughs> why did she have to strike a deal with you about the freedom of her children? That they're also your children. Oh gosh. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So anyway, um, listen to Age of Jackson podcast with Catherine Carrison being interviewed, and the book is Jefferson's Daughters: Three Sisters, White and Black in a Young America by Catherine Carrison. Sounds really good. Yeah. So that connects pretty well with uh, the book. The next book that I'm going to talk about was just Founding Brothers by Joseph Ellis. Um, And this one, I had not read it until we were going to talk about this podcast. And then I brought it with me on vacation and finished it because um, I don't know, I just had it on my shelf for a while and I hadn't picked it up. But uh, Founding Brothers was the 2001 Pulitzer Prize winner for history. Uh, And it's about, uh, it focuses specifically on the decade after the Constitutional Convention and looking at kind of the specific people and personalities and interactions that were influential at that influential at that time and then have continued to be influential today and in how we think about the United States and government and those kind of things. Um, so I feel like I bought this one when I was obsessed with Hamilton because Hamilton is in it. Nice. And then didn't read it until now. But anyway, um, so Joseph Ellis has written pretty extensively about the revolutionary period. He's done biographies of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. Um, and he actually has a book coming out this fall called American Dialogue, which I think is in kind of the same vein, but I don't really know a lot about it. But I think it's out in through September, 
probably. Um, anyway, this book caught my attention because I don't really do giant biographies. Like I just find them <laughs> extremely tedious, especially of uh, historical white dudes. Um, but this one worked for me because it focuses really on these like specific events. So like the first chapter is called The Duel and it's about Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr's duel and kind of what led to that and then what that incident kind of taught us about the revolutionary period at that time. Um, the second one is called The Dinner, which is about Hamilton, Madison, and Jefferson's famous dinner where they agreed to support uh, Hamilton's financial plan in exchange for moving the capital, the future capital, to, to the Potomac in Washington, D.C., where it is now. Um, there's a chapter called The Silence, which is all just about how everybody kind of agreed to not talk about slavery as the only way to, at the time, they thought, keep the union together. Um, so about what that silence meant at the time and what it continues to mean. Um, and then the last chapter, which is something you alluded to, is about um, – oh, no, never mind. The, the last chapter is about Adams and Jefferson's friends, but the one I really liked was called The Collaborators, and it's about uh, John Adams and Abigail Adams and their kind of work together as a pair, and then James Madison and Thomas Jefferson's collaboration at the same time um, and how they were kind of collaborating against each other in some ways. Um, yeah, so it's just a really interesting look at kind of these famous moments and famous people, but in – in specific contexts. Um, so he works at getting, getting at the issues behind the events, but also how they resonate. Um, and I, I, I kind of appreciated that. Um, it was written in 2001. So like I, he sort of alludes to the fact, I don't know. I felt like there were some interesting things that in the context of the American presidency today were sort of funny in retrospect, I guess, just about kind of the way we argued and being petty and, um, it, not very nice to each other. Um, that he sort of, I felt like sort of alluded, like we don't do that anymore. And I was like, just kidding. Yes, we do. Uh, cause in 2001, obviously, uh, the context was different. So, but it was a really just interesting book, like a nice kind of, um, historical snapshot that I still felt like I got a lot of, of context for some history that I know about. So that one is uh, founding brothers by Joseph Ellis. Um, and it's, it's a pretty readable length, right? Like it's not super Oh, for long. sure. Yeah. It's only like, it's less than 300 pages for sure. I think maybe only 250. That's one of those books that I, I think I honestly bought that maybe it borders. Like that's how long ago it was. And then <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but it's on my shelf. But I keep thinking like, oh, I should read it. It's so short. Like, you know, compared to most, as you said, like revolutionary biographies and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's definitely nice and readable. Like I, I brought it on vacation and finished it in a couple of days. So yeah, that's good. I forget. Did you did you read the Chernow Hamilton? Oh my gosh, Alice! I bought that and I got to like five hundred pages in it, and then I was like, I cannot do this anymore. And I love Alexander <laughs> Hamilton. That's how oh bad gosh. I am at presidential or like historical biographies. Like, no, that book. Yeah, I got five hundred pages in it, and then I was like, I give up. I can't do it anymore, Ron Chernow. I'm sorry. That book is a slog and should have been edited down like three hundred pages, but. Um, the reason when you said that the chapter is called the dinner, that's why I thought of it because in the, the, you know, how, mm -hmm. um, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda said that the Chernow biography is what made him want to write the musical. Um, mm -hmm. when I was reading it, the dinner is, it's basically like a blip in the book. So when you said that there's a whole chapter about it, I was like, I bet that he also read something, if not this book, something like it, that made it a much bigger deal because you can skip right over it in Chernow. Like it's not a notable event. Um, mm. But this this makes me want to read it more because while I was reading it, I was frustrated because I was like, wait, no, I wanted, that scene sounded so cool and I want to read more about it. Um, 
So yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds great. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. Okay. I have one more <laughs> revolutionary pick, um, which I haven't read, but again, I started it and it's so good. And I, I was actually thinking about buying it, like ordering it yesterday. Um, it is called Never Caught, The Washington's Relentless Pursuit of Their Runaway Slave, Ona Judge, by Erica Armstrong Dunbar. Um, this came out in 2017. It was a finalist for the National Book Award for Nonfiction. Um, the description from the publisher is when George Washington was elected president, he reluctantly left his beloved Mount Vernon to serve in Philadelphia, the temporary seat of the nation's capital, until that famous dinner. Um, they don't have that part. In setting up his household, he took Tobias Lear, his celebrated secretary, and eight enslaved people, including Ona Judge, about whom little has been written. So basically, Pennsylvania law had this... Um, they required that enslaved people be set free after six months residency in the state. So Washington had brought his enslaved people with him. Um, so he decided to circumvent the law because why not as president and example setter to the nation? Um, every six months he sent uh, these people back down South just as the six months was about to expire. Right. So he's like resetting the clock. Yeah. What a jerk. <laughs> not okay. Dude. Um, so Ona Judge, uh, basically, like, she had, like, a life of relative comfort, you know, like, it, but you're still owned by someone. So it's not like, I don't know, I'm sick of people being like, oh, it wasn't that bad for, it's like, dude, you try it. You try that and say that it's not that bad. <laughs> anyway, so she saw, like, you know, there was all, there were all these, um, uh, free uh, people of color living in Philadelphia. So she escaped to New England when she had the opportunity, when she was um, 22. So she became the subject of an intense manhunt led by George Washington, who used his political and personal contacts to recapture his quote-unquote property. Um, it's, again, it's extraordinarily readable. It's a fascinating story. It's a side of George Washington that I feel like we don't see very often. Um Erica Armstrong Dunbar has written a number of books that all look really good. So this is just one that I was like, no, this seems like especially relevant to our theme. Um, but again, it is called Never Caught. So that's a little hint as to what happened. The Washington's Relentless Pursuit of Their Runaway Slave, Ona Judge by Erica Armstrong Dunbar. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, because in, you know, George Washington, everybody's like, oh, he's the greatest person ever. And he was beloved in the revolutionary period. But yeah, we don't. I think like slowly we start talking more about the like foibles and the bad choices and the hypocritical choices that a lot of these people were making at the time um, more. So I appreciate that. I'm excited. I'm going to, I want to, I want to read that one. That sounds good. Um, all right. So that is our, our revolutionary history picks. It's kind of a, like you could go for days and days and days. I feel like just trading picks of our books about the American revolution. Um, so it's a big deal, but, um, those are some that we've got. So next we're going to move into our third segment, um, which this week we decided we'd bring back fiction, nonfiction, which is, uh, where we look at recent fiction that we have read or that is popular and then pair uh, a nonfiction book with it, um, to kind of, offer some additional perspective. So um, 
I'm going to talk about a book that just came out that I read this week on vacation. I uh, checked it out from the library. It's called The Ensemble by Asia Gable. Uh, and it is a fiction book about four friends who um, become part of a string quartet in their 20s and early 30s. So they are all musicians and they come together at a conservatory in California and they form a quartet. Um, and so these people, I think the youngest one at the time is like 22 and the oldest one is 30. Um, they grow up personally and professionally together as part of this quartet. So um, the book is just about like what it is to be a professional musician, kind of the high stakes world of competitions and of finding residencies and performances and what that does to you, you kind of physically being a musician and playing all the time, but also kind of the personal toll it takes to be part of a group like that and the... Um, the effort it takes to maintain it, the work it takes. Um, and the chapters, they alternate perspectives, which is uh, kind of a technique that I love, which um, I didn't think about it at the time, but I was reading a little bit about the book today. And somebody mentioned that it's kind of like in a quartet where the melody changes or the, yeah, the melody changes from person to person as you move through the piece. Um, so that kind of was interesting that like the main, the structure of it is kind of like how you might think about a string quartet and that exchanging of voices and stuff. But um Anyway, <laughs> a lot of the book was just about music, and it was a really interesting kind of behind-the-scenes fictionalized look at the world of high-level musicians, which I really liked. And it made me want to find a book about a memoir of somebody who is actually a musician like that. Um, so I did a little digging, and I found one, and it's called Gone by Min Kim. And this book is a memoir of a violin virtuoso who loses the instrument that defined her on stage and off stage. So um, Min Kim was a child violin prodigy. She went to a bunch of famous schools. She won a lot of prizes. Um, and then when she was 21, she sort of found what she considered her violin, which was a 1696 Stradivarius violin. Um, and she had it and she played and she recorded a bunch of really famous pieces. And then um, the violin was stolen, which I cannot even imagine what it would be like to have a Stradivarius from 1696 and then have it stolen from you. Like that's oh, man. horrifying. Um, so this violin was stolen and it ended up um, crippling her ability to play and to function. And so the memoir is um, about this loss of this uh, piece of herself and this thing that was very important to her and kind of how she came back from that, how she continued as a musician and a player um, as a, a really young person um, when this happened to her. So I just thought that sounded really, really good and just an interesting like world I don't know anything about that I got a glimpse of and I got kind of a sense of in reading the ensemble, but really would like to learn more about. So the fiction book is The Ensemble by Asia Gable or Gable that just came out pretty recently. And then the memoir is Gone by Min Kim. I yeah, I can't imagine having this this over three hundred year like beautiful and valuable precious instrument stolen, just like gone, and then like that feeling of like I feel horrible enough when I like lose my cell phone. So <laughs> I don't know how many times magnified that would be, but good lord. Um, yeah. Well, in the um, description, it said that she was like eating out at a cafe or something and had it under her chair. And then she went up to leave and it was <gasps> gone. And she's like, Ugh. yeah, so I that I'm hoping to grab that one because I, I found it when I was kind of trying to find a, a book about string quartets or, or something like that. And I found this one and I was like, dang, I got to read that right now. Like memoir, true crime, music, all that stuff. Sounds really oh, good. Good Lord. Um. Moving to a, a more dinosaur-populated space. 
Sorry. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Uh, so Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom has come out. Um, I am a huge... No, seen it? of course not. Um, I actually had an argument about this on the 4th of July with the group that I was with because they were like, well, why don't you like Jurassic World? And I just listed a bunch of reasons that I will not subject you to here. But um, essentially Jurassic Park is one of my favorite movies ever. I love it so much. And I feel like Jurassic World is uh, a blot upon the Jurassic Park <laughs> but um and i like jurassic park three you know like that one's fun whatever jurassic uh park two the lost world is like whatever but um it's still not as bad as jurassic world or i'm sure it's sequel anyway um <laughs> i had to, oh i feel like we need to just do a bonus i want to just do a bonus podcast episode of alice's jurassic <laughs> park thoughts and you can just go and i would just listen <laughs> And laugh I just, and it was that, amazing. Anyway, yeah, continue. Sure. Well, with uh, real quick though, I want to point out there was a tweet from someone who was like, "Can anyone name like the Chris Pratt character name uh, of this like blockbuster, you know, huge adventure movie that's grossed like millions and millions and millions of dollars?" Um, and almost no one knew the name. So uh, I feel like that's a point about storytelling. And Anyway, it's fine. Okay, so, however, this is still a very big movie, and I want to talk about dinosaurs. So, that is my fiction for this week, and the nonfiction, in case you would like to read more about dinosaurs. Um, first is a book I mentioned in a previous episode, but it's so good, and we should all read it. Um, it is The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs, A New History of a Lost World by Steve Broussat. Again, he's like kind of this up-and-coming paleontologist, and by up-and-coming, I mean like he's under 50, but... Um, He's been working in the field a long time and he has been a big part of the, uh, there's been this like in China, like huge boom in discovery of dinosaur fossils. And didn't, I think the, the discovery of like the fossil that had the feathers, wasn't that in China somewhere? I could be completely making that up, but I think it was, I feel like, I, don't, I feel I like don't most of the like amazing fossil discoveries that I have seen in, um, discovery news has like a dinosaur section on their website, just FYI. Um, these, those have all pretty much been um, Chinese discoveries. So he, he talks about that. And from that information that he's gotten in his research, he basically crafts like a new, um, more updated history of dinosaurs from like the time when they were like shadow dwellers to when um, the benefits they got from the uh, giant volcanic explosions that obliterated a lot of life on Earth and allowed for the rise of the dinosaurs. Um, it's got really beautiful illustrations and everyone should read it. Anyway, the other one, Again, sorry, that's The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs by Steve Broussat. The other one is How to Build a Dinosaur, which I was trying to find from, um, like, I was trying to find a book that was kind of like, you know, going off the Jurassic Park riff of like, can we clone dinosaurs? Mm -hmm. You know, whatever. Um, and this looks really good. Uh, it's called How to Build a Dinosaur, The New Science of Reverse Evolution by Jack Horner and James Gorman. Um I read, again, I read some of it online. I read some reviews and they seemed like really positive. The writing was really readable and it gives you like a good, again, kind of like uh, a grounding in paleontology and just sort of like how they go about that and what we know about dinosaurs and, um, and then how to build one, which I read someone recently was like, we could never do that because of X and I'm choosing to disregard that. <laughs> it's fine anyway so again that's how to build a dinosaur by jack horner and james gorman 
That sounds really good. Yeah, I remember you talked about the rise and fall of the dinosaurs, and I was going to look for that at the library, and then I forgot. So I was like on my phone making a note, like, go find this book right now because it sounds so good. All right. So fiction, nonfiction. That was fun. Um, We're going to close the show as we usually do with uh, what we are reading right now. Um, So the book that I am currently halfway through uh, is called Stalking God, My Unorthodox Search for Something to Believe in by Anjali Kumar. Uh, And this is a book that starts out kind of like a stunt memoir. Um, Kumar, she's a lawyer and she works at Google. And she, after she has her first child, she starts asking questions about like, she starts wondering, what am I going to tell my kid when my kid asks, like, where do we come from? What does God mean? And like those big questions, um, which seems like maybe not the top thing to worry about when you first have a baby, but I understand where she's coming from. So, um, she she decides to go on this kind of spiritual adventure to try and see if she can come up with a good answer. Um, she's somebody who grew up with uh, some had a faith but wasn't really strong in her life and so decides to kind of experiment with that. So she starts out kind of deciding, like, I'm going to spend a year trying to figure it out. Um, and she does a bunch of crazy stuff that like <laughs> – doesn't doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it's funny to read about. Um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, she does this paratan sound healing thing. She visits a guy in Brazil who's supposed to be a spiritual master who can heal people. She um, looks into soul cycle and some of these different things, just trying to kind of understand all of this stuff. Um, and after a year, realizes that like this was kind of a dumb idea. Like you can't find spiritual awakening in just one year. It takes longer and it's more work than that. And so I just kind of got to that part where she realizes that the the quest is a little bit um, flawed from the beginning and has now decided to kind of, I don't know if take it more seriously is exactly the right word, but like invest some more time and energy into it. So um, yeah, she's just out kind of trying different spiritual practices and different spiritual um, experiences to see if she can find one that resonates for her. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's very, it's funny. It's pretty light. It's not, it's not a big, deep kind of a thing. It reminds me a bit of AJ Jacobs, um, who did the Year of Living Biblically, um, where he tried to follow all of the rules of the Bible, like to the letter for an entire year. Um, it's kind of in that vein, I think. Um, coming at kind of a different question. So yeah, I'm, I'm maybe halfway through and I'm, I'm enjoying it. So I think I'll finish it. It's pretty light and funny and not too, too, um, uh, difficult to read, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, it's called Stalking God by Anjali. Oh my gosh. When you talked about the year of living biblically and him trying to, AJ Jacobs trying to follow all those things, (laughs) my Christian high school education immediately popped into my head with like the reason that there are all those laws to show how, you know, man can never be perfect or whatever. Like it was, um, it was a very, sorry, I just, I needed (laughs) to share that. Um, But also, do you feel like this book, um, Stalking God, is uh, throwing shade at all on Eat, Pray, Love? Because you were saying that she realized like, oh, you can't do this in like a year. Um, She has not mentioned Eat, Pray, Love at all. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think she's, she's taking it seriously, but she's also trying some stuff that I feel like you can't take too seriously. Um, Like these kind of practices and stuff that she goes in with a healthy dose of skepticism Um, because she's a lawyer. So a lot of the stuff she kind of goes through, she's like, well, here's, here's what they say. And then here's the moment where I thought that can't, 
no, like that's too far for me. Like I can't go there. Um, so I think she's taking it less seriously than perhaps Ypres loved it. Although I haven't read that one, so I don't know for sure. Yeah, I haven't either. But um, but Elizabeth Gilbert seems like a nice person. I'm gonna put that she out. There. Is. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah. Currently reading. Um, I just finished a book that I had recommended a while ago, and I had started but not finished, which is the story of my life. Um, but I just finished Like a Mother, A Feminist Journey Through the Science and Culture of Pregnancy by oh, yeah. Angela um, Garbus. And that was really good. I read it in a day. Um, so like super readable. My um, The reason I finally finished it is that my uh, very pregnant friend was like, hey, can I borrow that? And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that seems more applicable to you. I'll get that right to you. Anyway, um, but what I'm reading right now is Drinking in America, A History by Mark Edward Lender. It came out in the 1980s. Um, obviously, I, I do things again with the uh, Frances Willard House Museum, which she was the president of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, which uh, was trying to fight the horrible effects of alcoholism in American culture. So reading this history, I was it looked more academic than another book that I will mention, which is uh, Drinking in America, Our Secret History. Uh, so that's a real similar title. Um, by Susan Cheever. And um, I flipped through that book. I was really excited when I saw it first come out. And because um, I think it came out like last year. But uh, it she barely mentions the WCTU. And I remember it just being like, it just looked bad. And then I read, <laughs> that seems like a, a fair review. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I But I read a bunch of reviews online of it. And people were basically like, how is this different than you know, drinking in America, a history. And they were like, it's not, and it's not as well researched. <laughs> so, mm. um, yeah, I feel like if you're going to read one uh, and you're interested in, you know, like why we drink the things we drink in America and what the history of our drinking rates are, um, I will say that actually, I think in the book, it says in the 1980s, when the book was published, we were drinking about 2.8 gallons of alcohol a year. And now the most recent figures I've seen are 2.2. So um, it seems like it's going down, which is cool. But one of the most interesting insights that I've read from it is that there's this perception, right, that everyone that basically the, I think the phrase they use was that the 1920s was soaked in alcohol. And um, they basically say that's not true. And that if you go based on um, cirrhosis cases in hospitals and uh, it was some other kind of um, drinking related either illness or death, um, those actually went down a fair amount, like by half during hmm. prohibition. So it's kind of saying that these popular ideas we have are not actually that true and that there might've been some really great benefits. Obviously the problem with extreme um, uh, violence and corruption <laughs> and uh, uh, general um, horribleness on the part of the mobs were uh, a not great outcome of it. So I'm not saying that we yeah. should pass prohibition again, but just that we should rethink how we are mm -hmm. thinking about it. So again, it is, Drinking in America, A History by Mark Edward Lender. Um, and that's the end of the show. Uh, you can find us on social media, uh, specifically on Twitter. I am at It's Alice Time. And Kim is at Kim the Dork. And uh, if you have enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to rate and review it on iTunes so people can find us more easily. And also subscribe in the podcaster of your choice so that you can get our new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And thank you for listening to the For Real Podcast.